Well, good morning. Good to see everyone. We have a, an amazing morning to have together. A lot of ministry and interaction time. So before we get into that, two quick announcements. The first one is I really want you to go to the Kings game with me. Now, let's just be honest about what it is. We know they're going to lose. Let's just call that out. You're not going. Come on. You're not going to wonder whether they're going to win. Okay, they're not going to win. But who cares? Here's the deal. Here's the deal. They're rebuilding. You know what? They've been rebuilding. Hey, it's a 20-year process. That's the way it goes, right? But the thing is, is that we go for a couple reasons, and they're all very Christian reasons. Number one, we go to just screw around. That's one. Number two, talk trash with other people. That Praise the Lord, right? That's what the Lord has for us. Uh, I just want you to come and hang out because I think it's going to be a blast. I'm grabbing my wife and my two daughters. We're going to be there. Come hang out with us and have a, a fun time. I don't know how many tickets are left in the lobby, but by all means, grab one of those and come and hang out. It is just fun to be in the atmosphere. It's fun to just see all the stuff that goes on in between, right? Some people watch the Super Bowl for commercials. Some people go to the Kings game for entertainment. So praise the Lord. It's going to be a blast. So come and join us. Second thing is don't forget Easter is at the end of this month, beginning of next month, right? So for our Saturday attenders, Easter's in March. That's so crazy, right? So we have to be able to invite people and you got to be prayerfully considering who do I love and who do I need to invite to that service the service will be designed specifically for visitors in mind and I have to just say each time I come out after a service and I'm meeting all of you there are so many of you that have been here only since the beginning of this year you're brand new and I keep running into you and keep running into you and God is doing tremendous things through this church. So praise the Lord that you are here. All right, that is it. Take out your Bibles and the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door and we can begin. We are in part eight of our Job series called Knowing God. And in this series, we've been looking a little bit afresh at who God is. And wow, it sure hasn't gone like we thought it would. The book of Job is weird. And all of a sudden we learn new things about the Lord and how he works with his people. But it is the year of wisdom, is it not? Okay, in the year of wisdom, every time you see one of our leaders come up here each and every weekend, we're trying to challenge how you are currently thinking. So it, whether it's us or it's a guest speaker or whatever, anytime you come in, I want you to come in with a soft heart to say, Lord, what are you trying to tell me? What do I need to look at afresh? Because what we cannot do is ever approach with a heart of, I already know it all. God's got nothing to teach me today. That is an unacceptable way to walk into church. Now, anything you hear, of course, you're going to want to sift, right? You process and filter. But we come with soft hearts because God's got something new and fresh for us every time we come together. So we're going to continue to challenge you in that way. And I'm going to do that as well today. So where are we at in the series and in the story? Let's say you're brand new. You just came in. We've been studying Job and the story goes something like this. 
God and Satan get in a conversation about a guy named Job. Job's the best of the best. Satan says the only reason he's good is because you protect him. God said, I don't think so. You can test him. Satan takes everything away from Job and he's reduced to nothing. It is there in that sorrow and suffering. He and a bunch of his friends comment on what God is like and how the world works. They're all wrong. God comes face to face with them and calls them out on it and says, you're all wrong. And aren't you embarrassed now that I am here and I'm telling you the truth? As a matter of fact, he corrects Job so severely that all of us kind of are taken back. Wow, Lord, he already has been hurt so bad. Why would you be so strong against him? We talked about that last week. I think it was not only appropriate, it was good for Job. Then God goes quiet and says, Job, you need to answer me. Do you understand what I'm doing here? That is where we pick up the story. We're going to be in Job chapter 42, verse 1. Job chapter 42, as we close out this series, this is the last part. But as you are turning there, I want to draw your attention to the fill in the blank with a couple thoughts. Y'all know who John the Baptist is? John the Baptist was this guy that after 400 years of silence, where God did not work primarily through his prophets, God went quiet because of the disobedience of his people. After 400 years of silence, out comes a guy who looks like, sounds like, and acts like an Old Testament prophet. He's dressed weird. He says weird things. He's just a bizarre guy. And he says the phrase, repent for the kingdom of God is on its way. Y'all remember that? Well, then Jesus shows up and he has the same message. Repent. The kingdom of God is here. And then when Jesus sends out the 70, when Jesus sends out the 12, he says, I want you to go with this message. Repent and come to me. And sure enough, this message of repentance is everywhere. As a matter of fact, when Peter is at Pentecost, you all know the story of Pentecost? Holy Spirit hits, crazy stuff starts happening, signs and wonders and miracles. Thousands of people in Jerusalem gather around. They have no idea what's going on. And Peter starts to preach. He says this, this Jesus whom you crucified is our Lord and Savior. At that moment, everyone's heart is cut to the quick. And they said, what brothers shall we do? Do you remember this? Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, for your children, and for all who come. It says in that moment, they began to repent, and he talked them through it, and 3,000 people became part of the church that day. Okay powerful time. What was his message? Repent and be identified with God. The word baptism, we get a little caught up on the water baptism part of that. Baptism means identification with. Here's what it means. You used to be all about work. Now you're all about Jesus. 
You used to be all about your political views. Now you're all about Jesus. You used to be a man or woman of animosity, but now you're identified with Jesus. You used to be lost, but now you are found and identified with Jesus. That's what he meant. But he told them that the pathway by which what salvation occurs is through repentance. And so I want to talk for a moment about this, this word repentance and why it matters so much. The word repentance simply means to realign our minds with God, to realign our minds with God. And I believe that that is absolutely critical for Bridgeway. Why? Fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. We are not living healthy. We are not living healthy. And you say, pastor, you don't even know me. What are you talking about, man? I eat salad. (laughs) Let me point something out here. You may want to write this down. There is only one good salad. It is made of dos coyotes and it's called the Yucatan chicken salad. Other than that, (laughs) other than that, there are no good salads. Those are for rabbits. There's a reason. I'm not judging the vegetarians here out loud. I'm judging them in my heart, but that's not the point. The point is, the point is, I'm not talking about that type of health. What I'm talking about is this stuff. You ready? Here's why I think that we're not healthy. We are not experiencing the freedom that we should. We are not bubbling up with a love for all people as we should. We are not operating in the power and the authority that we should. We are not as consistent as we need to be. We are not living in the passion that the Holy Spirit provides. We are not as united either as a church or a region as we should be. And we are not as effective in this world as we were built to be. That's how I know we're unhealthy. You see... I don't care how amazing you are. When I talk about saying, man, we need to be hardcore. We need to be intense. Here's what I mean. How many people do you think we have in this room right now? Right? Hundreds and hundreds. Yeah. Okay. Here's what I believe. Let's say all of us were the absolute embodiment and person of Jesus Christ. Are you telling me that this community would look the same? If all of us, if we had that many hundreds of Jesuses in the room, no way. We are not seeing the fruit and the power that would exist if we had this many Jesuses in the room. That's how I know there's more. There's more, there's more, there's more. But here's what I mean. Even if you're intense, right? And I got to be real clear on something. When I talk about you being spiritually vibrant and alive, healthy and powerful, I'm not saying, man, y'all need to become like me. Let's be real clear on that. There is a reason I'm up here and it is not because I have a better spiritual life than everybody else. That is a fact. There are some of you in this room that I am aspiring just to be 10% of your spiritual life with the Lord. There are some of you that have known the Lord and walked with the Lord longer than I've been alive. So I'm not pretending in any way that I'm 
up there and you got to come up to my level. As a matter of fact, I need to come up to some of your levels. The reason I am up here is simply that out of our family, God called me and anointed me and told me I needed to do this particular role. That's why I'm up here. But even if you are the best that we've got, until all of our lives look like Jesus, there's more. Yeah? So I know that the only way that's going to happen is if we're connected to the Lord and the Holy Spirit is flowing unhindered in our lives. Then you'll see the fruit, the power, the complete reformation of our community. And we're not seeing that yet. So there's something wrong in the process. That's why we need to repent. All right, pick it up in Job chapter 42. Verse 1 says this, after God had rebuked Job, he went quiet and Job answered. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, God, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. What did he just say? God, I'm out of line. I was talking about stuff. I have no clue. The first part of repentance is admitting and owning where you messed up. That is so hard for some of our personalities. Because we believe that if we say we were wrong, that we are now devalued as a person. That is incorrect. Our value is not in what we produce. Our value as a human being is not what? Making society better. I know that society will tell us that we're more important if we're wealthy. That we're more important if we're successful. What I'm telling you is it's garbage. Let me give you an example. My mom, right? So I grew up and my mom has had a nursing agency. As a matter of fact, two of her nurses are sitting right next to her. Ladies that I've grown up with. It started when I was 11, right? So we're going to go way back in time. All right? And what they did as a company was called Action Home Nursing. They took care of pediatric patients. And what that means is if you had a child that was born that did not, let's say, have a diaphragm that worked and they were on a ventilator, you either went and visited your child in the hospital all the time or you brought the child home and had nurses in your house. They provided round-the-clock nursing care in the home. Y'all tracking? So I grew up in a world hearing constantly about children with special needs. They were not productive in society and never once were they thought of as less. Do you understand what I'm saying? No, you're right. In society, they weren't able to do anything to bless other people. As a matter of fact, some of them could not talk. Some of them could not communicate very well at all. Does that mean that they were less? Not in our world, not in Jesus's world. In Jesus's world, they're 100% valuable. 
Okay, but some of us have bought the lie that our identity is what we produce. You as a parent know that's not true. Your child was valuable at the moment you knew they existed. They have yet to produce anything and they were everything. Y'all following me? All right, well, the first part of our repenting is taking the Christ-centered identity and admitting we're wrong instead of going, oh, that's going to end me. It's not going to end you. You're wrong because you're a rebellious human being. You're wrong. Does that crush you? No, it doesn't crush you. It means you're being honest, (laughs) right? Man, y'all, we're messed up. That's how it works. All right. Then he says this, verse 4. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Now, that sounds like Job's right back into that arrogant, I'll ask you questions, God, you're going to answer me. That is not at all what he said. Because notice his heart has been changed. So here's how it's supposed to be read. God, I have nothing but questions. I know before I was saying what was real. I don't know what's real. All I have is questions. You're the only one with real answers. The second part of repentance is what? Realigning with God's authority. Who's in charge? God's in charge. That means it requires us to submit to his authority. Boy, that's a word Americans don't like. Submitting. Wow, we are so rights driven. Man, you can't say that to me. I don't need to submit to you. I have rights. Hold on a second. First of all, we're talking about God. What rights do you have? Second of all, let's say you do have rights. Why is submitting not appropriate? We are supposed to submit underneath the Lord's authority. It's appropriate. It's right. It's good. All right, go to verse five. This is perhaps one of the most powerful lines in the entire book. So if you underline, underline verse five. If you are reading one of our Bibles that's under the seat in front of you, by all means, underline this because whoever's going to get it next needs to read this one. All right, here we go. Verse five. I had heard of you, God, by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. What was his point? God, I used to know about you. Now I know you. Why? He had an experience with God. The depth of the relationship took a critical drop from his head down into his heart. Do you realize there's so many of us that keep everything up in our head and intellectual because you can't trust feelings, right? Here's the problem with that. If you don't involve your feelings, there's a whole level of intimacy you cannot get with the Lord. Because we keep shoving off and saying, can't trust it, can't trust it. You can't live without it. Listen, you think that your mind is safer than your heart? Your mind's just as messed up as your heart. Man, we justify stuff that shouldn't be justified. And that's all up here, right? Some of us have shortchanged our walk with God because we have denied any emotions being involved. Listen, I'm not a super emotional guy unless it's Kung Fu Panda. Do you understand what I'm saying? So here's the point. I cry at animation movies because the Holy Spirit works through animation, 
right? And so if you have a cute little panda and then another guy that's really nice to him and it's like, oh my gosh, he's really having a moment here. Okay. That's when I cry. Now it is very different for me to cry at church. I, I'm not, I tend to process analytically, but here's the thing. You can read any DSM volume, which is what the counseling world talks about, what is normal and abnormal. And they'll tell you if somebody does not have any emotion, something's wrong with them. And yet we as a church have consistently said, I will not lean into emotion. And we keep shutting it off and shutting it off and shutting it off. And what you're doing is going further and further from your relationship with God. We have to have both, right? Okay, let's keep moving on. Verse six, what is his result? Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. All right. The fourth step of repentance is owning the embarrassment of what we have become and what we have done, releasing it into the hands of God, asking for forgiveness, letting him cleanse us and put us back on our feet again. Here's the problem. There are three words that have been hijacked from the Bible, repent, guilt, and shame. Repent, guilt, and shame. Modern psychology would say, don't ever feel bad, right? Well, you don't need to feel bad about that. You always need to be positive. If anything bad happens, you need to self-medicate and move around it. Just move on, move on, right? No, that's not biblical. That's not human, as a matter of fact. It's not healthy. So I want to recapture the biblical and real definitions of repent, guilt, and shame. All right, here we go. Repent means simply this. Feel regret, change your mind, and live different. Ta-da! Anything unhealthy about that? Nope. Okay, if you drive drunk and crash into somebody... You're supposed to feel bad about that. You're supposed to go, wow, that was a terrible idea. I'm not going to do that again. Boom, that's repentance. I don't think there's anything unhealthy about that. As a matter of fact, that's kind of how it has to go, right? Okay, what about the word guilt? Man, I don't want to have any guilt on me. Here's what we do. We immediately jump to Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is that true? Absolutely, it is true. Problem is, you forgot the process of how to get there. Is that going to be the end answer? Yes, but there's a process to get there. In order to be saved, the Bible says, we lay our lives before God. There is a process by which he gets us saved. In the same way, the pathway to joy, blessing, and power is through repentance. So let's talk about guilt. Here's what guilt means. Feeling you deserve blame for what you did wrong. Nothing unhealthy about that. Do you feel blame for what you did wrong? You should, because you did it wrong, <laughs> right? Oh, I can't imagine. I can't say that about myself. I- yeah, you can. Because it's true. Here's the third one. This is the trickiest one. Shame. Boy, modern day psychology, we do not need to live in shame. Modern day Christianity, 
Wow, we do not need to live in shame. Okay, hold on. Let me give you two definitions. The first definition is this. Painful emotion over guilt. That sounds real healthy to me. Painful emotion over guilt. Okay, let's say you as a child had a BB gun. You walk down to a forest area and you just feel, felt like doing something and you saw a little family of animals. It was not hunting in the tra- traditional sense of hunting. You just thought that you wanted to do whatever you wanted to do. So you shoot one of the animals. The animal starts to flip around because it's not dead. It's just tortured and in pain. And you walk away. Should you not at some point reflect back on that and have feelings about that? At some point, you're supposed to go, wow, that was not okay. I did it out of pure selfishness and I was simply dominating something and I let it suffer. Okay, you're supposed to have shame over that. Why? Because it wasn't right. So in my opinion, shame is appropriate. Here's what's not appropriate. Here's the other definition of shame. A long-standing condition of humiliating disgrace. Y'all understand how one is healthy and one is not. For a Christian, the identity of humiliating disgrace does not apply to you. That is not appropriate. Feeling emotions? Yes. Living in a new identity? No. Why? Because Jesus died for that. Because you have been released from that. Because you've been forgiven for that. So no, your identity is not humiliating disgrace. But you need the emotion. You need the painful emotion of it. Here's why. We all know how change happens, right? Here's the best definition of how change happens. You ready? Change happens... When the agitation to stay the same is worse than the agitation to change. What does it mean? The reason we don't change is because it's hard. But what if it's harder to stay the same than to change? That is the only time change will occur. If we are not embracing the agitation of what we are, we will not want to become anything else. So the more we self-medicate, the more we ignore... The more we push off, the more we avoid, the less change is going to occur in our lives. Ah, that's a problem. All right, let's keep moving forward. Paul ended up rebuking the church in Corinth really heavy, and then he wrote a letter to him. He said, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, meaning I'm not happy that I made you sad, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. There is a godly way to own the pain and it leads to freedom. And there is a worldly way to embrace the pain and die in it. 
This is a God way and a world's way. We all following? All right. Nobody is. Praise the Lord. Okay, here we go. Let's pick it up in verse seven. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz, my anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. God publicly rebukes Job's friends. Why? I mean, what a drag. You are known in the best-selling book of all time as a jerk. That is a bummer, right? Why would he publicly rebuke them? Because they publicly sinned. They publicly said stuff about God that wasn't true. How do we know that? Because it's recorded. What if people left that conversation and thought maybe they're right? God said, we're not having that. Let me be very clear with everyone. They are wrong. All right, moving forward. Picks it up in verse eight. Now, therefore, take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you. And I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your stupidity. For you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So the three men went and did what the Lord had told them. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. All right, what just happened? He led them through repentance in two ways. Number one, there was a violation between them and God. That's called a vertical relationship. God said, you messed with me. We need to straighten this out. And I want you to do a tangible example to own it. I need you to bring me sacrifices. I need it to cost you. I want you to own this in your heart. Now, here's the second thing. You violated Job. You did not take care of my buddy. So I need you to fix your horizontal relationship, right? I want you to fix that because you wounded him. So I need you to humble yourself and allow him to pray for you. You got to go through him to get your sins forgiven. Why? Because you violated him. Okay, this brings up a point. There are so many of us that always say, I don't need to talk about my sin because it's between me and God alone. Really? Is it? Because everything going on with you affects me. No, it doesn't. It was an internal victimless crime. Was it? Nope. Why? Human beings are porous. We bleed stuff out without knowing it and we absorb stuff without knowing it. Everything you do affects someone else. Your bitterness makes you mean and you're affecting me. Your sin makes you not want to pray for me and you leave me hanging. Y'all following? There's all kinds of impacts of what we're doing. That's why the Bible says not just confess your sins to God, but confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. That's right. We got to be connected. We need to be owning this because we're hurting each other. So we got to open up to it. All right. The problem with this whole process is pride. Pride stops us. James four, six through 10. But God opposes the 
proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. What's the point? We kneel before God and let him raise us back up. Uh, Pick it up in verse 10. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. What was the point? When Job aligned with the obedience of God, blessings began to flow. Not beforehand. Nothing changed until he went through the process of repentance. Peter again was preaching in the book of Acts and he said this, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be forgiven. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. There is blessing and freedom and joy on the other side of repentance. We're not willing to walk it, so we're living with less. The Holy Spirit's saying, I do have great things for you, but you're not doing it right. You keep assuming you can avoid all this stuff and just be who you are. You can't. I'm trying to make you into something new so you can be free. So you can have my power. All right, here we go. Verse 10. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before. They ate bread with him in his house. They showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. Okay, what was that about? It's called repentance for the community. Why does the community need to repent? Because they all violated Job. How do we know that? Because in his darkest day, there was no one. The community failed him. Either they personally made it worse, or they never showed up. So they needed to go through a process with a tangible response to say i'm sorry verse 12 and the lord blessed the latter days of job more than his beginning and he had it lists a bunch of animals verse 13 he also had 10 more children seven more sons and three more daughters he called the name of the first daughter jemima the name of the second keziah and the name of the third, Karen Hapuk. And in all the land, there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived another 140 years, saw his sons and his sons' sons for generations. And Job died an old man full of days. Okay, here's what you just saw. Revival. 
The second half of his life was better than the first half. Why? He had an experience with God. He walked through an intense experience where he connected with the Lord. Things became more real and God's blessings began to flow. Notice what he did with his daughters. Did you see it? He gave them an inheritance. Why is that important? Because before his experience with God, he did not. He did what culture did, only focus on the boys. But after he was transformed by God, he righted what was wrong and elevated his daughters in status. What's the point of that? When we have a true interaction with God, we want to raise the level of everyone around us up to where they need to be. It says he lived a long life. That in Hebrew literature means a blessing of God. All right. Luke 15, 10, Jesus said, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Man, repentance is good. Repentance is not bad. Repentance is the way to freedom. And I think we need to walk through it together as a church. Here's what we're going to do. I want to share with you a process by which we're all going to engage with God. We need to talk some things out with him. And I want to have it based on a premise that I learned a couple years ago. I should say I was reminded a couple years ago and never forgot it. Y'all know the worship prayer and healing nights that we have every year. They're usually in, in November in the beginnings of that process. We have what's called a preparation night where we prepare our hearts. We repent before God so that the Holy spirit can move through us cleaner and do what he needs to do. All right. One year, as we were partnering with the rock of Roseville, we asked pastor Francis and Fuso to do the devotional for that night. He came in and said, wait, what are we doing? And I said, we are repenting before the Lord to prepare our hearts. He said, oh, got it. He then shared this one concept that changed everything. He said, my family, as we begin in this process of repentance, I want you to remember when you repent, you are not coming to an angry God. You're coming to a loving father. And it changed everything. You see, when we own up to stuff, you're not telling God anything he doesn't know. When you own up to stuff, he's not waiting to harm you. He's waiting to restore you. When you walk up, you see the loving eyes of God. And he said, kid, come on. You know what you did. Let's move through this. We have a good, good father. Amen. All right. So as we prepare for this, here's how we're going to do it. We have a bunch of different learning styles in this room. There are some of you that are interactive. Okay. Which means you have to go through a process by which to own things for you. The altar is going to be open. What that means is you would come out of your seat and come up here and kneel at the altar. Now I understand it's concrete. All right. Maybe the Holy spirit will give you supernatural padding. I don't know what he's going to do. But you would come up and kneel here because you need to change your posture, right? 
You need to change your posture. What that means is there's sometimes, if you've ever worshiped with me corporately, you'll notice that sometimes I'm on my knees with my hands outstretched to heaven. I look like the most holiest person you've ever seen. Let me tell you what I'm doing. I'm doing that because I'm desperate. I don't feel anything and I'm trying to break through. You think I'm doing it because I'm holy. I'm doing it because I'm dry. I'm trying to change my posture to get somewhere. Some of you need to change your posture. Some of you need to get out and every time the Holy Spirit moves, you're always in the middle and you have to go, excuse me, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, excuse me, pardon me, all the way out, right? It's totally embarrassing. I get it. But you got to do it because you're not going to own it unless you do. The altar is open. I want you to think of this place as a place of extra breakthrough because that's what we're praying for. There are some of you that are writers. I need you to grab the pen on the seat in front of you. I need you to take your bulletin and start by saying, Father, I'm so sorry. And just begin to write. There's some of us that just need the quiet. You live such a busy life. This is the only time carved out. I want you to block everyone else out. I want you to pretend like we don't even exist. And you just have prayer time with your Lord. Some of you that are worshipers, it is only in the worship presence of God that you can start unlocking things and handing them over. So Jake is going to worship and play behind me and fill in the gaps with the songs of the Lord. Whatever your posture is while I pray, I just want you to get into that posture because in the remaining minutes, we're going to walk through owning up to God that blessings might flow. Amen? Let's begin to pray. Come on up to the altar if that is a blessing for you. Heavenly Father, we have a few moments of quiet where we just need to dial in. In that place, Holy Spirit, would you move upon our hearts? Father, in this moment, we want to lift up to you and own the fact that we have been living selfishly. That God, all of our decisions we've been making have been about us and not you. God, we have chosen our career paths because we thought it would be a good idea for us and never even bothered to ask you what we should do. 
Lord, we decided to buy a home and buy a car and we decided to make financial decisions as if we were the only ones that mattered. We didn't talk to you about it. We've been sitting on your throne day in and day out. And it's your chair. We have decided who our friends are, not because of building the kingdom of God, but because it filled us up. Lord, in all these things that seemed good at the time, we recognize now that so much of it was laced with selfishness. And we have not let you be God. For that we are sorry. Lord, forgive us for not believing your promises and not counting our blessings. You have said things that were true and we have not hung on to them. As a matter of fact, God, we have not lived in gratitude or thanksgiving. We've sat underneath the Christmas tree with you and we've had 42 presents and each one we ripped open and looked for the next until we found the one we wanted. And we have ignored your 42 gifts. We have lived with a mindset of scarcity and lack. And for that reason, our heart has shrunk. Forgive us, God. Forgive us for not loving other people as we should. That, Lord, we have not been kind. That, God, we have determined that there are some people we love because they're worthy of being loved. And there's some people that aren't worth our time. God, that's unacceptable. We have become monsters. You poured all your love into us. You filled us to overflowing and we can't even open the floodgates to our enemies because we don't think they deserve it and we think we do forgive us forgive us Lord for our judgmental attitudes we have deemed whole parts of society as less than we have called this group debaucherous while we excuse the sin in our own lives we have marked out whole ethnicities as something other than ourselves we've marked out age and gender and said one is more important than the other and God it's not all right we have been judgmental about other churches about other Christians, we say that we're the only ones that know and we don't have a clue what we're doing. Forgive us, God. Holy Spirit, forgive us for refusing your ministry. We have told you when we will pray for people and when we won't. You've whispered to us to reach out and we didn't. You've said that you would like to do miracles through us, and we said they're too weird. No, thank you. And we have dictated what you can and cannot do. That is unacceptable. Forgive us, God. 
Forgive us for not abiding with you. We give you the leftovers. In the morning, we wake up and check the news, but we don't check in with your heart. At night, we watch the TV show, but we don't pray. We intend to have quiet time and devotions, but we never do. For that, Lord, we are wrong. Forgive us, God, for the way that we have viewed ourselves and our bodies. Lord, we have spent all of our emotional energy saying that we are not good. That your creation, your masterpiece is a mess. We want to be taller or shorter, skinnier or stronger. We want to be lighter or darker. We want to be rich or successful. We want to be prettier or more handsome. Everything but what you've made us. And that is not how you see things. We repent and we change our minds today to say that you are right and we are wrong. Forgive us, God, for the lust and the sexual immorality that is out of control, the pornography addiction that dwells not just in society, but heavily in us and in this church. Forgive us for the attitude of using another person. To use the chemical bath that we get in our minds to reduce our anxiety and to change our depression. We have used other people to be our pacifier, to be our teddy bear. We have used it to self-medicate. We have said that we are allowed to debase other people just so we can feel better. And God, we're wrong. Lord, our anger and bitterness and resentment, our unforgiveness has kept us far from you. You want to move all the time and we won't let you. We think that it's in one corner of our lives not realizing that we are fully integrated and it bleeds into every area. God, our spiritual growth has been stunted by our unforgiveness. Please give us freedom and healing. And Lord, as we lift these things before you. Take us down the pathway. Take us through what we would call the valley of the shadow of death to the other side. Take us to the place of freedom. Break the chains and set us free. Show us what it means to live rightly, to receive your blessings. That God, we need revival in this church and it cannot happen without repentance that until we own up and lift our arms to you and say God be in charge no matter what that means 
We will not have your freedom and power. So today, God, we say, come and heal us. Glory to God. Glory to God. Just respond, beloved. Just respond to his love, to his forgiveness. How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. All will sing how great, how great is our God. Can you lift those hands and declare it? Come on. How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. All will sing how great, how great is our God. He's the king above all kings. You're the king above all kings. You are worthy to be praised. And my heart will sing. And my heart will sing how great. Come on, let's worship. You're the king above all kings. You're the king above all kings. And my heart will sing your praise. And my heart will sing, how great is our God. Everyone declare, how great is our God. All in with me, how great is our God. All will sing how great, how great is our God. One more time in the presence of the Lord. How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God all will sing how great how great is our God hallelujah lift your voices and give him praise everyone lift your voices hallelujah What a word we have heard, a needed word of repentance. Repentance is our pathway to rejoicing 
is our pathway to restoration, is our pathway to revival. In just a few moments as we leave, I want to encourage you to allow your hearts to reflect upon what has been poured into our spirit today. The Holy Spirit is still moving in this room in a powerful way. Normally we would leave and we would talk amongst each other and there would be conversation all throughout the worship center, but I want to encourage you to do something different today. I want to encourage us in a spirit of reverence and honoring what God is doing right now in this sacred moment that we would leave reflecting, quiet in our spirit, even as we walk into the foyer, that we would just keep our spirits quiet for a moment and just reflect upon what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us personally and collectively. As you're receiving your children, just with a spirit of just sacred quietness, just receiving and embracing all that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us right now. When we go home, not immediately turn the TV on, not immediately just go about doing things, but leave some space for the Holy Spirit to just embrace this word that we're receiving right now. This is life-changing. This is life-changing. This is transformative. We need this. We need God.